Good morning, Radiant. Please grab your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter uh, chapter 4. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses uh, 7 through 11 today. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. If you're using the Bible in the seat back in front of you, it's on page 955. 955. Well, the, the paragraph that we're in uh, this morning is really a continuation of thought from last week in verses 1 through 6. And uh, recall from then, if you were here for that, that uh, because of the gospel, because of the, the good news of Jesus Christ, we can live according to God's will by clinging to the hope of change, justice, and eternal life. And this week, what we're gonna see is that Peter really just carries that idea, really uh, the idea of the, the, the hope of eternal life into our text. And he gives us some very, very practical ways that we can embrace that hope with each other today. So today is, is a very practical time in God's word. So first Peter chapter four, uh, let's read verses seven through 11 here. And the word of the Lord says, now the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God and whoever serves as the one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that, in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. You know, it struck me uh, this week that our culture today is fascinated with the idea of the apocalypse. The idea of the end of life as we know it on this earth. And uh, you, you can see this by uh, simply looking back over the years at all of the, the mega hit uh, uh, blockbuster apocalyptic movies that some of us have enjoyed. And there's no shortage of creative ways that we all bite it. <laughs> there's natural disasters like uh, giant meteors and asteroids there's earthquakes and volcanoes, global storms that usher in a, a new ice age. And there's also all kinds of aliens that get us and cloned dinosaurs eat us. It's my nod to Jurassic World. There's even a, a purple goblin-like guy who's infatuated with jewels named Thanos who takes us all out. And if that's not enough, some kind of global virus gets us. That hits kind of close to home these days, doesn't it? Or somehow, vampires come out of hibernation and literally suck the life out of us. <laughs> and there's my personal favorite, uh, zombies. Come on, some of you have the survivor's guide to uh, a zombie apocalypse, right? Nobody wants to admit it. I actually think the reason that people are so fascinated by and infatuated with these doomsday scenarios is theological. Uh, 
Because the Bible says that God has hardwired us for eternity. And so uh, consciously or, or subconsciously, everyone knows that this all comes to an end at some point. And I'll also add that our culture doesn't really know how to respond to the idea of the end. Now hear me, this is not what Peter has in mind for us in this text that we're about to study this morning. Look with me again at verse seven, if you would please. Now the end of all things is at hand. You see, see Peter is saying that we are in the end times, the, the last days. And friends, please don't interpret the, uh, what, what Peter means here through the lens of how our culture views the end. Instead, if we have to view it first through the lens of scripture. Let scripture speak to this. And see, Peter had just finished up in verse six, talking about the hope of eternal life. So it makes perfect sense for him then to move in to verse seven here and say, and by the way, that hope is not all that far off. You see, eternal life with Jesus is not far away. This is what we call the doctrine of imminence. It's the, uh, the biblical teaching that Jesus Christ could return at any moment. Peter believed that. He believed that, that Jesus could come back at any time without notice. In fact, this week, maybe go read through 2 Peter. He states that explicitly. I also add that Jesus himself said that his return would be like a thief in the night. And then later on, uh, the apostle Paul, after his conversion, he wrote to the church in Corinth and he said that Jesus' return would be in the twinkling of an eye. This is our future hope, friends. It's the hope that, that Jesus will, will physically return soon, claim his bride, the church, and bring us into eternity with him. He'll destroy evil and he'll set up the new heavens and a new earth. No more suffering for Jesus' sake, friends. Only indomitable joy and pleasure with our Savior forever and ever and ever. Our future hope is near. It's near. Most often, when the Bible talks about the end times or last days, it's to encourage believers who are generally suffer suffering for Jesus. To remind them that the suffering is but a moment and Jesus Christ's return is near. And this is exactly what Peter's doing for us here in this text. So tell me, does that make your heart sing for joy? I mean, when's the last time you just daydreamed about what life in eternity with Jesus is gonna be like? It's okay, a little sanctified imagination is acceptable. I uh, told my daughters the other day, that in the, the new earth, I'm gonna have a pet blue well named Bluey. <laughs> and I'm gonna ride on her back and explore the oceans with Jesus. And I'm gonna ask Jesus all kinds of science questions about how in the world he created these wonderful sea creatures. That's one of the ways I plan to worship Jesus in eternity. You see, Peter's not making a doomsday prediction that we should fear. He's making a theological statement. You see, followers of Jesus have nothing to fear about the end. 
Listen, hear me on that. We have nothing to fear about how this all ends if you're in Christ. It's gonna be a gloriously happy ending that is really just a new beginning for the rest of eternity. (laughs) This is our future hope of eternity. And Peter's saying, and scripture is teaching, that it is not far away. So be encouraged, friends, in whatever you're going through today. Yeah, but, but Chris, Peter makes this statement some 2,000 years ago. I mean, how could the, the end be near if Jesus still hasn't returned? Has he forgotten us? Does he care? I have two thoughts on that. First thought, we have to remember that God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. See, God is eternal. He's always existed. He always will exist. He's infinite. So his timeline is not our timeline. Second, we also have to remember that Jesus gave the church a mission. And each day that Jesus tarries, He's giving his church an opportunity to live out that mission so that more people would come to know Christ. So that more people would step out of the darkness and into his glorious light. So in that sense, tarry Lord Jesus a little bit longer. Some of my family don't know you, give them more time. This is why Radiant Bible Church exists. So we should trust God. He knows exactly when Jesus is coming back. This is our future hope. Jesus is coming soon. I don't know exactly how that all is gonna happen. God hasn't given us those details. I mean, maybe we'll all briefly sing the chorus, it's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. (laughs) I don't exactly know, but it's gonna be glorious and it's at hand. Hear me on this though, friends. Until that day, we've got some work to do. See, Peter starts here with a theological statement that the end is near. Now, as we're gonna see here, he's gonna give us four practical ways that we can embrace this future hope of eternity today. Four practical activities that Jesus himself wants to find us doing faithfully when he returns. Look with me again at verse seven, if you would please, the middle of verse seven. Therefore, Therefore, in light of what was just said, now the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Self-controlled and sober-minded here are used synonymously. These words have this idea that we need to, to keep our heads, to be in the right frame of mind. And I, I believe that this is here as, as a command for us, because in difficult or grave situations, people often lose their minds. They go crazy. And Peter's like, hey, don't do that. Not believers. 
Be sober-minded, self-controlled. By the way, uh, for the sake of your prayers, because your prayers might be hindered either because you, you, you won't pray rightly or you won't pray at all. I also note um, on the eve of the biggest moment in all of redemptive history, Jesus Christ going to the cross. Jesus told Peter to pray in the garden of Gethsemane and he failed to do so. He wasn't prepared for what came next. He tried to go all ninja warrior on uh, the servant's ear and chopping it off with a sword. And then he runs and he, he, he fled from Jesus. And later on, he denies Jesus three times. He wasn't ready. And I wonder if Peter's just gently telling us to do what he didn't do. Be ready. Be watchful. He's calling us to embrace our future hope in fervent prayer. Prayer is one of the ways that we can experience intimacy with God. And so if we're not praying or not praying rightly, then we're missing out on some of that intimacy with God. And prayer is also one of the ways that we maintain vigilance and readiness. Jesus said, be watchful and ready. Don't be asleep. So Peter here is keeping us on the right path by telling us to have level heads and to be fervent in prayer. Look at verse eight. Now above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. We could uh, literally say we could uh, keep having love for one another earnestly. In other words, keep loving one another with the same sincere intensity that Jesus loves us with. Notice here that love's not optional. He says, above all, it's supremely important. Above all, earnestly love one another. And in that, this is the second way that we can embrace our future hope. Earnest love. We do it in earnest love. Notice here too that he adds an explanation of why this is important. He says, because love covers a multitude of sins. Cover here has this idea of masking or concealing from sight. It's probably an allusion to Proverbs uh, chapter 10, verse 12, where it says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. See, hatred, the opposite of love, stirs the pot. It, it grabs people's sins and it uses them maliciously to sow division and ruin relationships. It never lets someone move on from their, their sin and it always holds it over their heads. I wonder if some of us struggle with that. But not love. Love uh, seeks to cover the sin, not, not exploit it. Now this is very important. Hear me on this church, okay? Um, Peter is not saying, please say not. Okay, Peter is not saying that, that love 
covers sin in the sense that it looks the other way and ignores and just accepts the sin. Oh, I see sin over there. Okay, I'll just look this way. You do you. No, that's unbiblical. That's not what Peter's saying here. Instead, Peter is saying that love covers sin in the sense that it seeks to forgive and does not hold a grudge. Peter wants our love for each other to give us attitudes of forgiveness toward each other, being willing to keep no record of wrong. When a believer sins against us, we follow the Bible's process for reconciliation, repent, grant forgiveness, restoration, because that's exactly what God does with us through Jesus Christ. And one who has been forgiven of much also forgives much. So dear friends, are you holding a grudge against another believer right now? Husbands and wives, is there resentment in your marriage right now toward one another? Small groups, is there tension in your relationships with each other because you aren't willing to move past an offense? Yeah, but, but Chris, you, you just don't understand what they've said to me or about me or what they've done to me. And you're right, I don't. I don't. I didn't say this is easy. But if we're honest with each other, the lion's share, the vast majority of the offenses, offenses that people commit against us or we commit against them, we can do this. And the few ones that, where those offenses are so egregious, listen, there's grace to forgive for that. It might be a process. But we don't have a choice, friends. Scripture doesn't give us that option. We have to earnestly love one another. Love seeks to forgive because it remembers that Jesus' love paid for our own sins on the cross. That's what enables us to forgive even the most heinous sins. I'll also just note that in Matthew 24, uh, Jesus was talking to his uh, disciples, including Peter. Peter's there, he's hearing it about the last days. And he says that, that in those days, people will fall away and betray one another and their love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. So in essence, Peter is saying, don't let your love grow cold for each other. So first, we embrace our future hope in fervent prayer. Second, we embrace our future hope in earnest love. And here's the third way in cheerful hospitality, in cheerful hospitality. Look at verse nine, if you would, please. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. <laughs> That's pretty straightforward. <laughs> Not much commentary needed about that. Uh, hospitality means uh, to be friendly and welcoming toward uh, each other. 
It's to have a, a warm disposition. Love, by the way, produces hospitality. So if hospitality is present, it must be because we're also loving one another. So we need to let our personal dispositions and even our homes be a welcoming, inviting, warm, safe environment for one another. I just gotta say, hey, church, I am so grateful for the hospitality that shows up in so many different ways here at this church. There's hospitality in in small group meetings in each other's homes where many of you will share a meal or a snack together as you open up God's word and share your lives with one another in a safe environment. And there's uh, many of you who show hospitality by grabbing meals together throughout the week and offering encouraging words to one another. There's even some of you who open up your homes to other believers going through a hard season and let them stay with you for a while. Hey friends, thank you. Thank you for the many displays of cheerful hospitality that you show to one another daily. The world sees it. It is completely unlike anything else. So let's keep it up. Let's continue to fan that hospitality into flame. Let's extend it from our homes to this church within these walls in increasing ways. No, oh, by the way, uh, let's do it without grumbling. <laughs> Love does not grumble or complain about doing good for one another. Hospitality is a, a privilege and a joy. Let's keep going. Let's keep it up. Fourth, uh, we embrace our future hope in gracious service, in gracious service. Look with me, if you would please, at verse 10 and verse 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies as each has received a gift. Here, here Peter's referring to not just any general kind of gift. Uh, This is a a special gift that's given by God to every believer. Uh, They are gifts of God's varied grace. And all believers have been given special gifts of various kinds. And Peter's saying that each believer needs to use their spirit-empowered talents and abilities to serve one another. God wants us to take the grace that's given to us in his varied grace um, through unique gifts and spend them on each other to lavish them on one another. He says to do this as good stewards. A steward is, is someone who's entrusted to manage what's been given to them. And a good steward doesn't hoard the gift or use it selfishly. A good steward manages the gift wisely and uses it to serve other believers. Now, let let me give uh, two uh, gentle cautions this morning. First caution, from our text, 
says these uh, special gifts are to be used to serve one another. Which means that these gifts are, are not about me or about you. It, it, they're not about uh, building up uh, our own kingdoms. They're not a, about establishing our own self-worth or our, our identity. Hey, uh, my gifts that God has, has given me, bestowed upon me graciously, don't define who I am. I'm who God says I am, and you are too. I bring all of this up because sometimes discussions of spiritual gifts can become more about my fulfillment and advancement than about blessing others. They're to be used in the service of one another. They're not about me, not about you. Second caution. Uh, New Testament especially, um, we see throughout it this general call, this general command, this overarching command by God for believers to serve one another. And oftentimes, uh, God does not give us specifics on how to do that. It's general, which means that there are a wide variety of ways that we're to be serving one another. We're to be looking to serve one another. And what we're reading here in this text is a special application of that general overarching uh, command for us to serve one another. Peter here is, is talking very specifically about these special gifts that God has given us. But we have to make sure that we don't neglect God's overarching call for us to serve one another in other ways. Let me give you an example right from our text. Many of us don't have the a gift of hospitality. I actually do believe that the spirit empowers uh, some with that talent and that ability. But notice what we just looked at in, in verse nine, it says, show hospitality. It's a general call to all of us. So, so I can't say, I'm not going to show you hospitality because that's not my spiritual gift. Which means, that at times we're called to serve each other in ways that may be outside of what we think are our special gifts. We need to be careful not to neglect God's calling in our lives to serve one another. So know the special gifts that God has given you. That's important because we have to know them in order to be good stewards. But instead of waiting around for an opportunity to use them, here's what we can ask ourselves. How might I steward my special gifts in the areas where I'm already serving other believers? That's a good question to ask. And here, in regards to these special gifts, Peter lists two overarching categories of gifts, speaking and serving. Uh, speaking is, is, is to be done uh, as if it's uh, uh, one who speaks the oracles of God, the, the words of God. This is important because we don't need to, to speak our words. We need to speak God's words. We need to hear from God, not each other. This is what happens when we open up God's word with each other and we teach one another scripture. God is speaking through his word to us. This is what's happening right now, Lord willing, with this sermon and opening up God's word that God is speaking through me to you. It's not my words, it's God's. 
And for those of us who are uh, uh, serving with serving gifts, we do it with the strength that God supplies, not in our own strength. We do it in our own strength. That means we get the glory. That means we don't need God. We know that's a fallacy. And so we're supposed to serve the Lord with spirit-empowered grace and serve one another. Now, I also note these, these two broad categories are not, ex, are not exhaustive. Okay? I actually don't think scripture gives us an exhaustive list of the special spiritual gifts that God bestows upon him. Why? Because uh, God's varied grace implies it could be an infinite amount of ways that God supplies us with special gifts. And if Peter really cared about knowing and identifying specific ways, he would have listed them here. So that's not the point. The point here in this context is that we're supposed to steward what gifts God has given us to serve one another. As I was studying this week, I started reflecting on some of the ways many of you are serving each other with your gifts. I thought of my wife's patience, generally, but specifically toward me. <laughs> my daughter's mercy. Matt's encouraging spirit. Ben's evangelism. Wade and how he talks to God in prayer. Nate's leadership, Bonnie's discernment, Chris and Lori's compassion, Hannah's hospitality, Orv's administration, Brett and Christina's steadfastness, Marianne's humility, Tiffany's faithfulness. Caleb and Laura Ray's generosity. David's joyfulness. Tim's helping hand. Bradley and Sarah's kindness. Paul's quiet wisdom. Samantha's hunger for knowing God. And Ron's servant's heart. And I could go on and on and on. So many ways you all are serving one another using God's grace gifts. He's using it to edify and unify this church. What a gloriously beautiful thing. Right, friends? but it isn't for our glory or your glory or mine. Look at the end of verse 11 here. So that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. 
To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. It's so that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Glorified here means to praise, exalt, honor, to, to enhance the reputation of the Lord. All that the church does should be to the praise of God, extolling him, honoring him, and all that we do as individuals should be to the praise of God. We obey the Lord not to exalt ourselves, but to exalt him. He's greater because to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. What's, what's so cool here is uh, uh, that Peter ends this section with a, a doxology, uh, praising God. He goes vertical with it. If you will, uh, the previous verses, he's, he's uh, giving us some horizontal ways in which we can uh, obey the Lord and, and embrace the future hope of eternal life with Jesus. And then he takes us back vertically here to give God the glory. That's what ultimately what everything is all about. It's about magnifying his name in all that we do. This is the purpose, the motive, the impetus, driving force behind all that we do. It's the reason we are alive. It's to the praise of God's glory through Jesus Christ. That's your purpose, friends. That's our purpose. The walls, worship, worship. It's a doxology thing. See, Peter's doing that right now with us. And everything flows out of that. Everything should be to the praise of God's glory through Jesus Christ. And out of that, it leads then to, to walking, to looking more like Jesus. And then that leads to, to working, which means acting more like Jesus. Praise the Lord, the three W's are right here in our text this morning. It's like Peter's in our head or something. So friends, this week, Embrace our future hope in fervent prayer to the praise of God's glory through Jesus Christ. Earnestly love one another to the praise of God's glory through Jesus Christ. Show cheerful hospitality to one another to the praise of God's glory through Jesus Christ. And then graciously serve one another to the praise of God's glory through Jesus Christ. For to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. And God's people said, amen. And so Lord, you get the glory. Oh, might have you been glorified thus far this morning. Oh, might you have been praised so far this morning. And oh, might you continue to get the glory and the honor and the praise. Might we continue to exalt you now and forevermore, Lord. We must decrease, you must increase. And so God, as we uh, live in light of our future hope, as we embrace our future hope that Jesus is near, Jesus come quickly. But then when you do find us faithful and oh may we long to hear the words of our father say 
well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master, which doesn't mean all that much until we realize that, that, that God has, you God have infinite amount of joy and you want your joy to be our joy. So God, get the glory. If you get the glory, we get the joy in you. Do a great work in us, Lord. Give us the grace to be found faithful when Jesus returns. Oh God, we love you. We praise you. For to you belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen.